Okay. Um, before we get started, I have two quick um, things that I want to say. Uh, first is a congratulations to Rachel and Franck Patron uh, for the arrival of baby Noemi Rose yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Um, and so we are uh, just uh, joyful and rejoicing and celebrating with them uh, today. And it, uh, it's one of those things that highlights, um, hey, this is a season of a lot of new uh, babies being born and uh, lots of kids in our, in our, uh, in our community. Go. There we go. Okay. Um, I need one of these for my house whenever I'm stern with my boy. Listen, go to your room. Uh, anyway, it's very helpful. Um, and, uh, and so what I wanted to do was also give you a little bit of an update on the building proposal plan on behalf of the LT. Um, we so, so appreciate your feedback, and we really do mean that, really and truly. Uh, we thank you for your comments, um, for the, the information and perspectives uh, that, that uh, you provided through that. It really is helpful. Um, and something that probably is not surprising to most of you is that that feedback is not uh, unanimous. It is not all of one mind. It is not all uh, of a single perspective. And that's, that's really good. It's a wonderful thing that highlights the diversity and the variety of views and perspectives here. And if we all looked and thought and acted and decided exactly the same way, it'd be a really boring place to be, quite frankly. Um, but overwhelmingly, uh, there were a lot of people who, uh, the, the majority, I would say, uh, wanted to say, yes, let's move forward with this. Um, there were a lot of uh, comments made, uh, mostly regarding kind of finances and then stewardship of the, of the building itself. Um, and I think that just both of those play into this idea of good stewardship. And I, I love where... Um, where the, the, the headspace is in, in the body here uh, because people are going, hey, how are we using this building for its intended purpose? Namely, to bless our community and to proclaim Christ in Lenoxville and in Sherbrooke and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And is this part of that? Is this going to accomplish that? Are we really doing the best work that we can with God, with what God has given us? And I, I love and appreciate that perspective, and I think that's good, and I think it is good for you all uh, to keep that mindset and to hold us accountable, those that are in leadership and making decisions. Um, so the long and short of it is the, the leadership team, um, as well as some uh, you know, input from, uh, from us, the pastors, uh, are moving forward to the next steps of this building proposal. Meaning we're gonna start putting some skin in the game. We're gonna hire somebody, draw out some plans, take into account a lot of other things that we didn't before uh, in terms of you know, plumbing and electricity and all of that. You were, we're gonna get more detailed in it and we're gonna put some money towards this. Um, now that doesn't mean that it's a sure thing. There's a lot of things that do have to happen, um, but the way that we see it and the, the heart that we have kind of discerned from uh, this body is we're going to be moving forward with that. And we do still want your input. We want, uh, just as Mike was talking about, uh, you to ask questions, check out that video, let us know what you're thinking. Um, we had a number of people that asked about 
would this building be able to be used as a daycare? And I, I, I think the heart behind that is not, hey, let's, let's get some more money. I think the heart behind that is, how are we using the building to bless the community? And what's one of the biggest needs in our community? It's childcare. And I love that. I love that that is where our, our minds are going to how are we using everything that God has given us to bless the community. The short answer is, we so do not have the bandwidth or kind of the, we're ready to tackle that just yet, but that is an idea that we have that we would love to explore and that's been put on our radar in a much bigger way as we move forward. There is a lot that goes into uh, that in terms of regulation and making sure everything is up to uh, code and, and following the rules of, of the, uh, the province and all of that. Um, but that is something that we would love to explore and ask ourselves some of those questions of how might we use a building like this. Um, and then we also want to be able to launch a, a fundraising campaign to where those uh, pledges and people that said, yes, we would love to give towards that, we're going to start um, doing that as we have a, a line item in the budget. And if you want to begin giving to that, um, again, if, if, if the money doesn't come in, you know, well, that, that helps us make a decision. Um, but when, when we're able to say, yes, we believe in this and we are willing to give above and beyond and sacrifice a little bit of some of other, other things so that we can do this uh, for the kids, for the community, uh, to maximize um, the, the, the space and the effect that we have uh, ministry-wise, we would love to do that. So if you have any questions, please talk with me, Mike, Kevin, any of the pastors and any of the LT. We would love to chat with you about uh, what the next steps are, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what that timeline looks like. And again, you can go to um, the walkthrough, hcclinuxville.ca slash walkthrough, and see that video uh, of Paul, not on fast forward, but uh, I, I, hey, is this a feature we could add to LT meetings whenever Paul, no, I'm kidding, um, but, and I'm one to talk, like really. Some of you are going, can we use that now? No. Um, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, th it's an exciting thing. It's a scary thing. It's a little, you know, I came in fresh this summer and one of the first LT meetings was like, here's this huge building idea. And I'm going, whoa, um, but, but it is exciting. And there is something really neat and cool about what God is doing uh, here and through you all uh, and in this place. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really blessed and excited to be a part of it. Um, Let's transition now to the book of Hebrews, and uh, as we dive in uh, this week, um, I am going to, uh, as, as we have been doing through Hebrews, read the passage uh, and then uh, share my thoughts on that. Excuse me. So we're going to go this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at the second half, picking up where we left off last week. Uh, in verse 19, and we're going to read all the way through to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Therefore, brothers, this is Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence." which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my, but my righteousness, one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that we would be encouraged by it, that we would encourage one another with it, um, that we would think soberly even on, on the harder parts that uh, might be difficult to digest, that we would internalize it and let it transform us, that we would this week and even today, this morning, be transformed and look more like your son, Jesus. We pray it all in his name and for your glory, Father. Amen. As we pick up here in the middle of chapter 10, the, the author is kind of transitioning. The author is talking about Jesus is better and has been for 10 chapters. Jesus is better than anything or anyone we could ever possibly worship. And we even have a little bit of a summary in, in this, this first kind of statements, like, since therefore, and therefore since we have a great high priest and we have confidence to enter the holy places, th these are kind of summary statements. These are statements that let you know, hey, just so you know, I, I want to kind of, because of all of what we have talked about, and all through the last, uh, you know, 11 weeks of the book of Hebrews, we have talked about how Jesus is better than the angels, and the Torah, the law, than Moses, the promised land, better than priests, 
better than Melchizedek, the old covenant, the old sacrifices, the old way, the old law, all of these things, Jesus is better than anything or anyone we could ever possibly worship. And the author, much like a sermon, now turns and gives us something that I like to call the so what. And if you are reading Hebrews like a sermon, this is where the so what comes in. What the author is doing is saying, okay, we've talked about all of this stuff. Because Jesus is better than all of this stuff that you're very familiar with in the Old Testament. Because of all of this, so what? And then the author turns to these very, very practical points that he or she lays out with this phrase, let us. Because of all of this, let's together do this thing. And the author really takes advantage of the idea of the tabernacle and the old covenant and the mosaic law and the people in the wilderness that's still being in their heads. We've been talking about the old covenant and the tabernacle and the mosaic law. And while that picture of the tabernacle is still in their heads, let us do these things. And if you'll recall a few weeks ago, we talked about the tabernacle, and one of the things that I mentioned briefly but didn't spend a lot of time on is where this sits. Of course, you have the most holy place, and just outside of that is the holy place, and that itself is under the tent, and that tent itself is in this kind of enclosure, this this, uh, curtains all around, but that whole thing, that enclosure, sits right in the middle And there are even instructions of where all of the tribes are. And it is three, 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 and three. All of the tribes are all around. And there is this picture of the place where we come to meet with God sits right in the center of our community. And so with that picture in mind, what the author says is, let us draw near. Let's come together. Let's come close to God. Let us draw near, we see in verse 22. And he says, as we are drawing near, he gives us these reminders of our status and who we are and what we are as a community. He, you know, and he's this picture of of the Israelites in, in the desert, in the Old Testament, drawing near together at this tent, the center of, excuse me, of their community, He's saying, even though we are part of a diaspora, we are spread all around the Roman Empire, and many times we're we're moved because of persecution, and he gets to that in a minute, but because of that, we still need to come together. We need to draw near. And he gives these reminders, first, with a reminder of our atonement, with a true heart in full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, And so this idea of because of Jesus and his blood sprinkled on us, we need to draw near. And the second thing he says is, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the second time that the author has used this phrase, kind of a unique phrase, but we think that he is specifically referring to baptism. Because we have been kind of born again, we have sim, you know, this thing that we have done that symbolizes a new life, risen from the dead, that Jesus has given us. And so when you think about, we gather together, and one of the things that we do is we remind ourselves of Christ's atonement, 
like we did last week with the bread and the cup. And we re- every time that we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection. And we remind ourselves by baptism that we are new creations in him. Next week, we are going to do that. Let me once again encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never done this step of baptism, never publicly saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I am a new creation, let me encourage you, come and talk to us, fill out the online form, uh, you know, come and, and grab uh, one of us, we'd love to talk with you about doing that next week. And this is a critical part of what it means to draw near together in a community of faith. And second, after we have drawn near, he says, hold fast. Hold fast our confession. This is verse 23. And confession, a lot of times we think of as like uh, 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 saying sorry, like for, you know, asking for forgiveness, confessing to a sin or a crime or a something like that. But really, this just means uh, an agreement. You know, the early church doctrines, the early creeds, they called those confession. Really, a confession just means agree with, to say, let's hold fast to this thing that we collectively together agree upon, this confession. And finally, he says, let's stir up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And even talking about how it's the habit of some people to neglect getting together, to neglect this practice of coming together and, and, and holding each other accountable and encouraging one another and encouraging one another to love and to good works. And some people are neglecting that. And it's a hard, hard time for the church, for followers of Jesus. There is intense persecution. This is a group of people that has been spread all around. In many cases, it was illegal to meet in this way and, and uh, according to the empire anyway, do a disservice and, and dishonor the Roman gods. And yet, he says, we, we've got to do this. We have to have this as a central part of our practice. And so, the authors, so what? After everything that we have learned from the Old Testament, telling us about what to expect in Jesus, and Jesus comes and he fulfills all of this stuff, so what? Well, let us draw near, hold fast, and stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, let's come here, let's stay here, and let's keep keep each other here in the way that we do this. And the big idea here is that if Jesus is better than anything and anyone that we could ever possibly worship, we have to, have to, have to prioritize this coming together as a community. And if Jesus is better, followers of Jesus are better together. We are made to live in community and regularly come together just like they did in the Old Testament. But now here under Jesus, we are coming together in order to do these things and encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works because followers of Jesus are better together. And I have to tell you, this is something that I, you know, that some, sometimes, you know, when a pastor is through a passage, you go, oh, this is going to be tough to swallow. This is a hard thing to, you know, I'm, I'm telling these things and people are going to be really, oh, I don't know about that. I, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like this is a huge encouragement because I look at this and I go, man, that sounds a lot like Hope Community Church. 
That sounds like us. That sounds like something that is just sort of baked into the DNA of HCC. When I think about what God is doing in this place and the ways that God is moving, I see us doing this, drawing near, holding fast to our confession, and stirring one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting meeting together, but encouraging one another. I was talking with Anne just the other day, and she said, you know, it just just feels like God is doing something exciting, and we're along for the ride, and we're all in it together. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. It's a thing of beauty, what we are doing here. Um, We don't have orientation at our church. Uh, We don't have membership. We don't have welcome to the institution or welcome to the organization. We have welcome to the family. And that's what it is. That's what it feels like when we come together. It's just saying, hey, you're now a part of this great big family. You're not some cog in a big institution. You're a member of a family. And we're doing that again in a couple of weeks. And if you've been coming for a while, if you've said, yeah, I want to be a part of this family. If you've said, Hope Community Church is my church. I am Hope Community Church, and you've never done Welcome to the Family, we encourage you to be a part of that. And that's a great way to say, here's what it means to be a part of this family. Welcome to the family. Um, This morning, we were supposed to have a child dedication, um, and we we ended up having to kind of rearrange and reschedule things uh, because principally, um, one of the parents uh, got sick with COVID. Um, So, Caitlin, uh, you got COVID, they had to cancel a birthday party and some other things, Uh, and I I called Caitlin on on Friday uh, just to say, oh, I'm so sorry, how can we be praying for you? And I said, hey, can we we bless you, can we bring you a meal? And you know what she said? You know, I think uh, Dave and Christy are already bringing us one tonight. And you know how shocking that was for me to hear? Not even a little bit. Not at all. If you know the Kellys, if you've been a part of their life group as Caitlin and Nathaniel are, or if you have met them at all, or a part of any life group, you go, yeah, that tracks. That makes sense. It makes sense that when someone as part, in part of their community gets sick, has to quarantine, that they're rallying around and they're going, how do we care for them? How do we encourage them? How do we draw near, hold fast to our confession, and stir each other up to love and to good works and encourage one another. This is about way more than coming once a week to listen to some guy talk about the Bible for an hour. This is about being a part of a family and stirring each other up and encouraging one another. And I got to tell you, this church is really good at doing that. I see and I feel that encouragement all the time. I tried to work on my car this week, and I couldn't do it without Jack McNeil wandering by and going, let me help you. Come over to my house and let's do this. I can't tell you how many people have been to my house or helped care for my kids or blessed us in a number of ways, and I I, I know we could spend all week just sharing stories about ways that people have felt cared for and loved and encouraged by this body and by this family, and I think we are doing that well. And let me just encourage you, let's keep doing it. Let's keep on that. Let's be known for that. And he ends this paragraph uh, in verse 27 with this notion of together we're going, we should do this even more as you see the day drawing near. 
And in your translation, probably the day is capitalized with a big D day. What the author is doing is playing off of this this notion talked about in the Old Testament, particularly throughout the prophets and especially the minor prophets, about this day of judgment that is coming, this day that we are looking towards in the future, this day when God is coming back and is going to establish his heavenly kingdom here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And then as we get into the next paragraph, oh, it gets uncomfortable. (laughs) And maybe even as we were reading, some of you are going, fearful expectation of judgment, fury of fire, okay, dies without mercy, trampled underfoot, okay, vengeance is mine. I liked that first paragraph better, Pastor Daniel. Can we go back to that one? It is a little bit uncomfortable. And we have this, this phrase that it starts with, for if we go on sinning deliberately, and what the author is doing, again, as he has done so many times throughout Hebrews, is, is using a phrase that would immediately spark something with his audience in the Old Testament. It's this kind of idea of like, while we're talking about the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant, let's talk about what to do with sin. Let's talk about this idea of sin. If we have a new covenant, how does that work now? And the phrase, sinning deliberately, comes directly from the Torah. In the book of Leviticus, and again, it's repeated in Numbers, and I'll show you that in a second, there is this kind of instruction about kinds of sin, and the author, Moses, sets out these kind of three different categories that God has given. The first is those that sin unintentionally. I have probably already done this this morning. I have probably already done this to one of you. I'm sorry, I apologize. I've put my foot in my mouth or I've said something rude or I've done something that was inconsiderate. This happens all the time. We sin and we do, we hurt other people unintentionally. No matter, there is still a process for that. There's a sacrifice to be made. You bring this offering. This is how you do it. We do it like this. And then there's a second category of people that sin. Maybe it is intentional. Maybe it is deliberate. Maybe it is with malice in your heart. And yet afterwards, we feel that. We know that it's wrong. We feel guilty. We recognize the correction. You might even say this category is sinning regrettably. And we acknowledge we need to pay restitution. We need to uh, make right what we have done. And there's a process for that too. You are forgiven. Let's go and make right. Repay the people and make this offering and do this thing. And there is uh, atonement made. And there is this third category talked about when we talk about sinning deliberately. And let me just read for you from Numbers chapter 15. After, the, after in Numbers 15, we've summarized the other two types of sin, he gets to this type of sin. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner, and maybe your version in front of you does not say with a high hand, maybe it is um, translated a little bit better or more effectively uh, to say something like presumptuously or defiantly, brazenly, uh, one of the translations says. But the literal translation is what is found in the ESV from what I am reading here. Sin with a high hand or with a hand held high. 
And the picture is someone who has their fist up in defiance. The phrase is, with, with a fist raised, almost kind of shaky. This is the person who is sinning and knows it and does not care. This is the person who says, I don't want to draw near. I don't want to come and make atonement. I don't want to be a part of this community. And people say, yes, but you've, you've broken the law. I know, I don't care. I want to. I don't want to live like this. I do not want to live in this community and under this covenant, I reject it, I am going away. That person sinning deliberately, that is the picture that we have in mind and that is what the author of Hebrews here in verse 28 of chapter 10 is playing off of. For if we go on sinning deliberately and then it goes on to say, who reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off, and his iniquity shall be on him. And man, this is just not fun. <laughs> this makes up this idea of, of sinning deliberately and incurring the wrath and the judgment of God and not having atonement for our sins. This makes up what pity, many people call the fourth warning passage of Hebrews. Throughout the book of Hebrews, there are four or five, depending on how you look at it, warning passages. It's kind of as a summary at the end of blocks of teaching, the author will have these warning passages. And there, there is something about the warning passages and the language contained therein that often kind of makes us a little, a little uncomfortable. And that's good. That's part of it. The warning passages are not there to make you fearful, but they are meant to make you uncomfortable. They're not meant for us to be afraid. They're not meant for us to go, is that me? Am I doing it? Am I sinning deliberately? Am I now incurring the wrath of God? I have experienced, and I know many of you have also experienced, faith traditions that heavily, heavily play on God's wrath and God's judgment, and you better stay in line or you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn forever. You're going to X, Y, Z. That is not what these passages are meant for. They are not meant to instill fear in you. They are, however, meant to make us a little uncomfortable, and for us to really consider hard what it is that, that God is saying to us. And there is something about God's judgment that should make us uncomfortable. Let me first start by saying this. If you read passages like this, if you get to this and you're going, am, am I going to be the object of God's wrath? Am I trampling underfoot the Son of God? Have I profaned the blood of the covenant? Have I outraged the Spirit of God? If you are concerned that that is you, it's not you. Does that make sense? Just by the notion of being concerned, of being worried, that you are on that side of the law, it's not talking about you then. This is talking about the person that says, I don't care. Yeah, I know I'm not living according to this because I'm not a part of that community. I have no part of what God is doing with that group of people, whether it's the Israelites in the Old, in the Old Testament, and remember what it said, whether you are an Israelite or you're a sojourner or you're a foreigner, no matter who you are, 
You have an opportunity to be a part of this community and to say, yes, I am part of this covenant. I want to live this way. But you also have the opportunity to say, I want nothing to do with that. A hand held high, a fist, brazenly, deliberately, defiantly rejecting this. That is who God is talking about. That is who the author of Hebrews here in chapter 10 is talking about. Those people that have said, no, I want nothing to do with that community. And if there is a concern that you're going, well, am I, am I the object of God's wrath? No. If you're worried about it, that's a sign that no, that's not you. That does not describe you and where you are today in this morning. But what it does is it plays off of this idea of the day that we talked about earlier that he hinted to in verse 27 as the day is drawing nearer. And as you read through the prophets, especially the minor prophets, they talk about this day that is coming. Amos and Habakkuk and Joel and Zechariah, they talk about this day. And these are really, really hard books of the Bible to read and to study and to wrestle with because there is this tension between I'm supposed to long for this day and yet there's fear and trepidation and like God's judgment and wrath being poured out. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And the truth of the matter is God's judgment and his justice are kind of a two-sided coin depending on where you stand. If you are on the side of the people that say, there is so much injustice and I want God to bring it and bring justice and make things right, you are rejoicing, you are welcoming that day coming. If you are on the side of the oppressor, if you are on the side of the person that is rejecting God's law and saying, I'm king because I have the power to be king, then yeah, a day of judgment coming is going to terrify you because you're on the wrong side of it. There is a day coming when God will set everything right, and it will be good news for some and very bad news for others. There is this duality to the coming judgment of God that for us followers of Jesus, better together, coming and encouraging one another and longing for that day and telling each other to be encouraged as God's justice is coming, that that is wonderful and good and great news. If you're not on the right side of God's judgment, however, that is a terrifying prospect. And this is not meant as a warning to the Hebrews to terrify them. It is meant to encourage them. It is meant to keep them sober-minded, to keep them looking towards hope, towards when God is coming to right every wrong, to make every rough path smooth, to wipe away every tear, and to defeat once and for all sin and death itself. And I got to tell you, that is great news if you are longing for God's justice. That is great news if you are saying, I want to draw near and experience God's presence. And if you're the person that says, I want nothing to do with God, tough cookie, he's coming. <laughs> and you're not going to like it. Just imagine this phrase. This was one, I don't, I don't know if any of you heard this or experienced this growing up. I heard this frequently. Just wait until your father comes home. <laughs> now, what does that mean? What's the context there? Now, let, let me say this. I grew up in a military household. 
And my father would frequently, uh, or I should say occasionally, spend many months away on temporary duty. He was in, he would say, the desert, or I'm, I'm away. Where are you going? Overseas. Okay, sure. Uh, my father is in military intelligence, so um, if there's a problem, you might find this part of the, the video scrubbed for the internet consumption, but we'll see. Um, but, and I would, I would long for him to return. And there were things that would happen or things that we wanted to do. There were six of us kids, and, and there's only so much that mom can do. She's living overseas far away from her family, and dad is, is far away. And there would be, th- oh, can we buy this? Can we do this? Can we go in and participate in this thing? We got to wait until your father comes home. And that was something I longed for. That was something that was joyous. But on the other hand, <laughs> uh, this may shock you, but... Um, you'll know that sometimes I was not a very well-behaved young man. (laughs) And there were some times when I was quite naughty, and I did something that exasperated my mother so much that she would say, you know what? You just wait till your father comes home. (gasps) Because I knew judgment was coming. And there is this kind of duality to it. There is this two-sided coin to this notion of your father coming. And for those of us who are longing for a day to be reunited, to see our Father and Him coming to make everything right, what can we do except rejoice when we read stuff like this? What other option do we have but to be filled with hope that God is coming and He is bringing His justice and all of the things in the world that are broken and hurt, He will heal them and He will make them right. And I say, amen, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as we read through, he comes to this next part where he is instilling hope again. And starting in verse 32 where he sees this, but recall the former days. Hey, remember when? And I, I, you know, I love this notion of saying, hey, do you remember when you first started following Jesus? Church, do you remember when you first came to Christ and you were first on fire for God? There is something just really special about those early days. When I was a teenager, when I had just kind of heard God's call in my life, when I had been baptized and I knew I wanted to go into missions and I I wanted to do ministry, man, I was probably really unbearable to many, many people because I was just so amped up. There, There was a fire inside of me. And maybe you've had that experience too. And what the author is doing with these people is saying, in these days when it's really hard, in these days when we are just experiencing persecution and loss and and really hard times as we try to get together and encourage one another and follow Jesus, it's really hard. But remember that passion that you had? Remember what it was like before? And And he makes reference to uh, a time when there was this intense persecution and they would have their their property plundered and taken from them. And the people said, I don't care. I've got something way better. And when you were downtrodden and facing persecution and you said, that's all right because I've got Jesus. 
And you encouraged one another and you visited one another in prison. And this is during the the reign of Claudius in uh, 46 to 50 AD when he basically expelled all Christians, all Jews, anybody who was not a a Roman pagan, just said, get out of Rome. And there was intense persecution. Do you remember what that was like when you would get together, when you would encourage one another, when you had a smile on your face and you said, you can't hurt me because I've got Jesus? Followers of Jesus are better together. Do you remember that? We need that. We need that spirit. And I know that sometimes it's hard and it's, it's easy to forget that, that feeling and what that was like. But we need that now more than ever. And transitions to this encouragement for endurance. To say, that is the kind of attitude that you need as you go through this life. And as we come together, as we draw near, as we hold fast to the confession of our faith, as we stir one another up to love and good works, and as we encourage one another, there is a need for endurance. There is a need to remind each other that there is a day coming when God will come and make everything right and we will dwell forever perfectly with our Father. We need to do that. And he says, even though you can't see it, you got to have faith that it's coming. And just starts to open this idea of faith. And even uses, not by accident, a passage from Habakkuk, one of these very hard to read, hard to understand minor prophets, where you're going, there is tremendous judgment coming. What? And yet throughout this, there's encouragement. Because we should be happy that God is coming. We should be happy that he is coming and making things right, that his justice is coming. We should encourage one another. But even though we can't see it right now, you have to believe it. And that's where faith comes in. And we're going to talk about that next week and the week after, about this need for faith and what it is and how we have a model of that in the Old Testament. And of course, the famous Hall of Faith chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the Bible. And so I ask now, just like in different words the author of Hebrews did, so what? You know, some weeks it's very difficult to ask myself, what does this mean for us? How do we kind of take this through the lens of where God was talking to these people however many hundreds of years ago and and put it through my own cultural lens here and now and how do we live differently because of this hard hard to grapple with text. And I gotta tell you, this week it was pretty easy. This week, most of my work was done for me. And this so what this week is probably not going to shock any of you. Here's my so what. Hey, why don't we uh, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another? It really is as simple as that. And here's what I would like to do. We're on track to, to finish up a few minutes early. We're going to sing a song, and I'm going to pray, and we'll be dismissed. But after that, there is something I would like for you to consider doing. Namely, stirring one another up to love and good works and encouraging one another. What if that time, instead of bolting out of here, and if you need, uh, you know, that's fine. No one's going to judge you. I know that Mike gives off uh, the, the physique of someone who is a bouncer in a former life, but no one's going to stop you from leaving, all right? But if you want to be first in line at Subway, whatever, you know, go. Yeah, it's fine. But let me just suggest, let me encourage you. What if we hung around? 
What if you went and you talked to someone, maybe someone you don't know who's part of your family, and introduced yourself? Or what if you went and you encouraged someone and you said, I love the way that you lead, or I've seen you in children's ministry and I so appreciate what you're doing, or I heard about the way that you blessed that person in your small group, or I was feeling really down that week and when you prayed for me, that just encouraged me. Why don't we take some time to do that? Why don't we take some time to stir one another up to love and good works. And maybe mingling and talking with people that you don't know all that well is not your thing. That's okay, I get that, I appreciate that, I really do. I have some alternatives. Maybe it's sending a text this week, or maybe it's writing a card. I have a whole bunch of these thank you cards, and maybe it is saying thank you. Maybe it means just taking a few minutes to write out thank you or a word of encouragement to someone to say, I love the way that you're following Jesus, and I know that we are better together, and I want to encourage you. I want to stir you up to love and good works. Take some time to do that. I've got a stack there. There's going to be a stack in the back, and I'll have a stack here as well, and if you want to write a note to someone, and give it to them, or there's some envelopes and you can slip it in the mail, that will work too. Or if you wanna just text someone, this isn't just for today. You can stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another any day of the week. If you wanna do that, I encourage you to do that this week. Let's take some time and just encourage one another because followers of Jesus really are better together. God, we thank you so much for all the ways that you encourage us, that you stir us, that you move in us to bless you and to bless one another, to be your hands and feet, to be light in our community, and I pray that we would do that, that we would today draw near to experience you together, that we would hold fast to the confession of our faith, the assurance of your pardon, and that we would, together, stir one another up to love and good works and encourage one another, and even all the more so as we look towards a day when you are coming to set all things right. We pray it with hope, and that we would have that hope this week. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen.